fast. So fast we begin to think it's normal. But it's not. Folks, these are tough times. Ah, he meant to say the changes come too fast. That's what we were saying there before the microphone uh, yeah. uh, opened. Yeah, that's Kevin. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Okay, how are you, you know, a little false start at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We're all human. We're all human. <laughs> it's tough times with Lou Young. We got George Patanovic here. Hey, Lou. And uh, and yeah, the idea to change. So many things are happening, uh, and 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 uh, are changing that we begin to think they're normal, and and I'm going to suggest to you today. That a lot of the things we think are normal are not, and when you put them together, it's like, yikes! <laughs> this is not normal. Roll, roll. This, yeah, roll, uh oh. So um, that's what we're talking about. Now, you know, um, climate change. We've been talking about that for a while. Uh, yeah, it's you know the the, the science is there. The apocalyptic uh, outlook that some people have. Mm-hmm. We got to do something about it. You want to argue about it? Call up. We'll argue about it. Eight four five four two nine seventeen hundred. If it's uh, if it's September seventeenth, where you are right now, and um, you know, look at the, we're looking for the big things, and we can see the big things. Like Pakistan is one third underwater. Uh, that's a that's a pretty big country, mm-hmm. and that's thirty three million people affected. Mm-hmm. Got a half a million people living in shelters right now, and the water isn't going away. Because um, uh, it, you know, it rained a lot. It, 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 think of like Hurricane Ida kind of rain, which we had like for one day, mm-hmm. and, and it, it messed us up. And uh, this went on and on and on and on, and um, and it's exacerbated by record heat, melting glaciers, and uh, and they're just devastated. So uh, and people are living. <laughs> They're living on in villages that are now little islands, mm-hmm. surrounded by this 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 water that mm-hmm. wasn't there, and it's not receding. So so what do they do? And then then that's that's one big thing you notice. Here's mm-hmm. another thing you can notice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like fog? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I fog. <laughs> yeah, fog. It's very atmospheric. You know, it's, uh, I like to take pictures in the fog. Um, uh, article this week. Yeah, yeah. Scientists are wondering. If fog will go away, now not 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 just like like it'll cease to be a thing. Um, <laughs> that, that's just crazy. <laughs> so so you, you know you're talking about a play. I mean, fog will cease to be a thing. So anyway, they've lost about a third of the fog in uh, in San Francisco, where that's famous for its fog. Uh, I guess in I mean, London too. London's famous for its fog, mm-hmm. and. Um, and there you go. It's so atmospheric. I, yeah. Uh, maybe we, you know, we. So anyway, we've got great guests today. Mm-hmm. Great guests. We got uh, uh, Dr. Shahid Daim and Dr. Sarah Josen from uh, Columbia University are going to be calling in. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just back from the Arctic, and uh, we can ask him some big questions about fog. I guess he's a he's more more of an ecology guy, but he's smarter than all of us. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe he can fill us in. And, doc, and Dr. Josen uh, is uh, has been. We, when we had her on. She was somewhat. Uh, pessimistic about the future, and we're we'll going to ask her to uh, see if maybe some of the things that have happened with the legislation mm-hmm. might um, might make her a little bit more optimistic. Uh, I picked up a book called The Carbon Almanac. It's not too late. That's the title, and um, is uh, edited by a guy uh, 
lives over in Mount Vernon in Westchester County, and it's a terrific, terrific book about um, understanding climate change and, uh, and all the things we can do mm-hmm. that, uh, that are doable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, this, isn't, this isn't impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to, you know, accept it and change our ways a little bit. So anyway, there's this section in here, George. You're going to love this. You took Kevin. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, climate change in front of your eyes. Now, what we're all looking for a massive uh, uh, down, uh, you know, downpours. Some big sign a, in a the, from wave, the sky or a, something. A, maybe a uh, you know a volcano that comes out. You know, something right, right. cataclysmic. Right. But it's uh, it's actually the signs are a lot of little things. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, have you noticed any changes in the following at home? Um, uh, more blackouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, flooded basements, yeah, check. Yeah. You know, internet service disruptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cell phone service outages. Yeah, okay. Frozen gutters in the winter, I guess. Yeah, of course. Fallen trees, higher taxes, unemployment, higher electric bills, soaring grocery bills, skyrocketing insurance costs because the claims are up, and declining home values. Mm-hmm. Uninsurable homes. Check, 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 check. Yes. Um, exactly. Yes, so, uh, there are many reasons for some of those things, but all of them have at one at least at least one line running back to climate change. Uh, that's you know that's the reality. Drive around town. What do you see around town that might tell you there's a uh, climate change afoot? You got more potholes, huh? Yeah, yeah. Is traffic bad? School closings? Melted power lines? Downed power lines? Didn't we have one just drop and block the through right, the other right, day? Right, right, yeah. Uh, flooded subways. I mean, that used to happen on occasion. Seems to happen all the time now down yeah, in the city, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sewage backups. Hello. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, you, you got traffic detours, contaminated water, dam failures, cracked pavement, lower reservoir levels, which happened before, but maybe when they were happening before, it was one of the signs we should have noticed. That's the other thing. Just right. Because it happened before doesn't mean it isn't part of this. Right. Uh, collapsed bridges, street flooding, you know, uh, uh, you got, so, um, uh, I, I see this and I go, yeah, add it up, add it up. I mean, I, I moved into a house in, uh, Westchester County, uh, 20 years ago, lived in the house 20 years. Uh, we sold it, we got out recently. And, uh, there were half a dozen major power outages that we were out for days and days. Mm-hmm. And I just said, okay, I guess the, the electricity goes out a lot here. Mm-hmm. But that could not have been normal. No. It's not normal. Right, no. right. It's not normal. Trees were, I mean, storms were knocking down trees on a regular basis and knocking out power mm-hmm. for days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a pricey area of, of Westchester County. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. But we begin to accept it. You to adapt. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, so folks, don't if you're looking for evidence of climate change, you don't have to look for. <laughs> you don't have to look for. <laughs> oh, let's keep going here. All right. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, while we're doing it, let's shall we get up and go into the big machine? Yeah, we can go to the big machine. Is it big machine warmed up? Oh yeah. <laughs> let's see if we can get the door. Okay. WD forty. Flip these things on. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, um, you go to the area of health. All right. Foodborne illnesses, heat stroke, hypothermia, of course, asthma. Has asthma been increasing? Yes, yes, for decades it's been increasing. Right, right. Hay fever because of invasive plants. Lyme disease. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, let's say you're a man of leisure. You're right. You don't. Uh, 
You don't have to uh, worry about it. You don't think you have to worry about it. Look at this. Look, look at these over here. Look at these these dials over here. Soggy golf greens. <laughs> Four. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, you know, uh, uh, less snowpack, fewer ski days. Hello. Cancelled events, airplane turbulence, travel delays. Let's go let's, uh, sit out in the lounge here now. Red tide, algae blooms. Yes. Now what? The, what we, we we had it right here, right? In Lake Welch, up in Lake Welch, yeah, yeah, yeah. algae blooms. Uh, yeah, toxic algae blooms. Toxic, yeah, beach right. erosion, and of course loss of tourism revenue because who wants to go swimming in an algae bloom? Right. You know, or fish. <laughs> right. Or fish. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, it goes on here. We, we can come back to these later. I got. Uh, th- there's more categories. There's mm-hmm. there's um, pollution, smog, changes in growing seasons. We've seen all this. Right. Declining crop yields, increased uh, pollen levels, uh, watering restrictions. Just re- yeah. lifted. Just, just yeah. lifted in, this week. In Roswell yeah. County. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A rising populations of uh, mold, disease carrying mosquitoes, and invasive plants. Here we go. Later fall foliage. Yes. Early maple tapping. Mm-hmm. Although that might be good. No? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Get some waffles. Good for, good for a while, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, uh, trees and plants flower sooner, produce less fruit. I mean, how many times have we seen the crocuses coming up in the middle of the winter, right? Yeah. And then dying? <laughs> this is what I love. A sign of climate change. Chubby squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Those chubby squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody has seen the chubby, chubby squirrels lately, uh, you call it's, it 845-429-1700 to report your chubby squirrel. Uh, of uh, Fewer butterflies, bears shortening hibernation, widely spaced tree rings. I don't know how you, you'd have to cut yeah. the tree down to see that. Right. Uh, uh, avalanches and shellfish destruction. And then, of course, you've got your wildflowers, drought, flooding, tidal surges, severe storms, heavy downpours, high winds, tornadoes, hurricanes, snow in typically warm areas, concurrent disasters, meaning they happen at the same time, right. and consecutive disasters, meaning they happen one after the other. Check, right. check, and then the big killer, heat waves. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to kill, many people say, that's what's going to kill most people uh, if it goes mm-hmm. south, because... Um, uh, you get these wet bulb heat events, mm-hmm. and the electricity goes out, and you die. Mm-hmm. You right. die because you can't get rid of the heat. Any event. Oh, in that, uh, uh, in, so anyway, the, the signs are all around us is what I've been trying to say. So um, uh, this almost, and one of the solutions, this almost calls for stepping back yeah. and, and, and evaluating everything uh, as being part of one thing. And um, that's. Uh, it sounds like this almanac is taking the larger climate issues that we hear about on the news and making it more pertinent to our everyday life. The oh, things that we see yeah, right in our own yeah. lives. It's not like something happening somewhere else. It's not. You, know, you think sometimes you hear these reports in different parts of the world, which are serious, and that somehow it's their problem, not ours. But yeah. we're, but we're seeing the changes here, and I think what you're saying is we adapt to them somehow. And accommodate them, but don't realize that there really are serious changes that are happening. A year ago, after Ida, I mean, it it rained where I live eight and a half inches in three hours. Hello. (laughs) Hello. You know, I mean, the the flood used to come out of the river, and now it comes out of the sky. And they're they're you know, so the, these and these that's a big danger. Believe me, that they say that's going to be the big thing for Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll it'll be rainstorms like that that will um, that will put the whole of Southern California underwater at some point, and they're not set mm-hmm. up for that. Right. I mean, you don't have to be underwater very long. 
for it to ruin everything. Right. I mean, you know, the 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 the, the flood where I lived, it was uh, 14 feet deep, and uh, it was gone in 45 minutes. Boom. You know, mm-hmm. went right away. Yeah. But the place was a wreck. I mean, you think about uh, some of these areas that have had drought, and you have yeah. that very dry ground, and then you get a rain event like that coming on top of it and, and the water the, has nowhere to go the, yeah. exactly it's, yeah. it's scary stuff so we're talk- we, and and that's what's happening folks and that's what we need to get ready for um uh, uh climate change to try to mitigate it you know stop putting less ca- carbon in the air and then resiliency to prepare ourselves for the consequences because uh we want to survive we want to survive and it requires um some people take the uh <laughs> the uh view that this requires almost like a new religion it requires like a to look at the whole of the earth as a um as something that's almost spiritual um i can i hear that i'm not necessarily on board but but i well you know maybe i am i don't know i'm no it, it's ex- existential we have to think about it so anyway let i want you to get ready are we uh, are we ready mm-hmm. um and uh, uh after we hear this song are you ready which i've Fallen in love again. It's a great song. It's a great song. Uh, Pacific Acid Electric. They named after a utility company. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, if Chicago can do it, then uh, you well, know. You know what? They, they, but Chicago had to stop. Chicago. Yeah, that's true. Chicago started off as Chicago Transit Authority, right. their first oh. album, and the Chicago Transit Authority said, "Wait a minute, all, that's our name. You can't use it." So right. they they renamed it Chicago. You right. know, they just uh, eliminated it. And I think the same thing happened to Pacific Acid Electric, but the cat was out of the bag for the early albums, and they didn't have as, as long a career. But uh, this, this is a terrific song, and uh, at the end of it, when, when you are ready, when you've listened to it and you're all ready, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be entering the Earth Church with Reverend Billy. Uh, that'll last about 29 minutes. I want you to listen because this is, it's a terrific show. I mean, uh, uh, as these go, it's called Can't Translate the Wildness. And then... We are going to talk afterwards. We've got our, our, our callers coming in. Um, we have a, a Westchester County Executive George Latimer scheduled to call. And uh, we have uh, one of the folks with the involved with the Carbon Almanac. Mm-hmm. And we've got uh, professors uh, Naeem and Joseph from the Columbia University. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about climate change. And we got to ask, are you ready? <laughs> There's rumors of war. Perhaps you wonder the reason why But wait, don't you worry A new day is dawning But catch the sun And the way
Riot Radio, I'm Reverend Billy, and this is the Earth Church. 
Well, this week, we've lived this together, haven't we? We've done this together. Pakistan, California, Greenland, it's just everywhere. The sixth extinction is down inside every minute now, wherever you are. Am I right? Do you feel it? And yet we don't seem to have the words. We, we know we're going through an extraordinary experience together, but we don't have the words. The, how do we feel about this? Our common sense has been changed. It's, I'm just speaking for Americans now, my neighbors and me. It's like we have a fine, blinding dust. Uh, it's in our hair and eyelashes and up our nose and eyes and ears. We're just caked with this fine... It, it's like each tiny particle of that dust is a Hollywood blockbuster movie. In other words, this windstorm, this dust storm, it's, it's powerful, but it's meaningless. It, it, it's like the application on our senses of meaninglessness. We can't respond to the collapse of our physical environment. We can't deal with the earth. We can't have a conversation. We can't receive instructions. When we should be like going through the door and going out into another kind of culture, another way of living, another kind of words. Are you following me here, Earthaluya? The earth is drowning us and burning us. The earth is trying to get us back again. The earth is presenting us with raw life. Begin again. When are we just going to bust out of our homes and run down the street? I'm starting over. I'm with the earth again. Earth hallelujah. Earth hallelujah. Got my life, my life, my life, this body. I got my body, got my life, my life, my life, this body. I got my body, got my life, my life, my life, this body. I got my body, I got my body, I got my body. Thrill to it, feel to it, real to it, earth to it, all my earth. To it, worth to it, here and there to it, space to it, place to it, do it, do it, do it, do it, thrill to it, feel to it, real to it, earth to it, mama earth to it, worth to it, here and there to it, space to it, place to it, do it, do it, do it, do it, risk to it, kiss to it, been making, mistaking to a stop, taking to Take it, take it, all this faking to it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Shine to it, cry to it, throw a line to it, sip it to it. Nothing left to do to it, mama to it, papa to it, and game to it. We're flying to play Mars to it, start space wars to it. Screw to it, pump big fist to it. Humankind to it, make it lie to it.
the computer modeling. That's the politicians, that's the scientists talking to us. We will understand climate change. We will understand how much it will impact us by our ability to put numbers in a box, shake it, and spread it out on the screen. So you take all the weather everywhere, convert it to numbers, crunch the numbers. Well, that's what they said. My naked lips and your naked ear. What is the word? What is the word? Your naked lips and my naked ear. Only the wilderness can be heard. It was always the computer modeling, and we... we we never could catch up to the Earth with our machines. You can't capture the Earth in our net of numbers. <laughs> but we don't give up, do we? We insist on repeating our tragic mistake. Someday when it's way too late, we will be taught by the Earth that we are the Earth too. And the observer is creating the observation. We model ourselves as we model our catastrophe, our common sense, our love, our dreams. Why replace them with numbers? My naked lips and your naked ear. What is the word? What is the word? Your naked lips and my naked ear Only the wilderness can be heard
coral and shark Though once we love Earth will you break our fear Oh beautiful Earth Beautiful Earth You think we are the storm Are we debris and deadly wind Ever since we
across the long grass prairie, swimming across the coral reef, climbing the mountain, swimming down the river to the valley. Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. After a fairly cold and wet summer in Greenland, an unusually late heat wave last weekend caused extensive melting across the ice sheet, the kind of melt typically seen in the middle of summer. Researchers say it's the largest melt event to occur in September, according to data sets spanning nearly four decades. The heat spurred melting across about 35% of the ice sheet last weekend, widespread melting of the sort usually only observed in July. Typically, only 10% of the ice sheet surface is melting in early September. At peak melt Saturday, meltwater runoff rates clocked in as high as 12 billion tons per day, easily ranking as one of the top 10 largest runoff events on record. Greenland is estimated to have lost about 20 billion tons of ice during the weekend event. That's about 7% of total ice that is shed in a typical year. For every 360 billion tons of ice lost, the sea level rises by one millimeter. Chemists at UCLA and Northwestern University have developed a simple way to break down almost a dozen type of PFAs, or so-called forever chemicals, at relatively low temperatures with no harmful byproducts. In a paper published in the journal Science, researchers show that in water heated to just 176 to 248 degrees Fahrenheit, common, inexpensive solvents and reagents severed molecular bonds in PFAs that are among the strongest known and initiated a chemical reaction that gradually nibbled away at the molecule until it was gone. The simple technology, the comparatively low temperatures, and the lack of harmful byproducts mean there is no limit to how much water can be processed at once. The technology could eventually make it easier for water treatment plants to remove PFAs from drinking water. Nearly two-thirds of Europe has suffered drought conditions this year, the worst dry spell in 500 years. The Danube is flowing at less than half its usual summer volume. In Germany, along the Rhine, barges that carry coal, oil, and commodities that supply millions of people are waylaid. By July, water levels in Italy's Po River were so low that the government declared a state of emergency in northern Italy, where vast fields of crops were simply abandoned. In France, the warmed waters of the Rhone and Garonne can no longer cool the systems of nuclear power plants, forcing numerous plants to shut down, and hundreds of tributaries to the larger rivers are in even worse shape, bone dry. Short animations giving viewers a taste of the tactics behind misinformation can help to inoculate people against harmful content on social media. A team of psychologists from the universities of Cambridge and Bristol created 90-second clips designed to familiarize users with manipulation techniques such as scapegoating and deliberate incoherence. This so-called pre-bunking strategy preemptively exposes people to tropes at the roots of malicious propaganda so they can better identify online falsehoods regardless of subject matter. 
Researchers behind the inoculation science project compare it to a vaccine. By giving people a microdose of misinformation in advance, it helps prevent them falling for it in the future, an idea based on what social psychologists call inoculation theory. The team argue that pre-bunking may be more effective at fighting the misinformation deluge than fact-checking each untruth after it spreads, the classic debunk, which is impossible to do at scale and can entrench conspiracy theories by feeling like personal attacks to those who believe them. Researchers have developed floating artificial leaves that generate clean fuels from sunlight and water and could eventually operate on a large scale at sea. The researchers from the University of Cambridge designed ultra-thin, flexible devices which take their inspiration from photosynthesis, the process by which plants convert sunlight into food. Since the low-cost autonomous devices are light enough to float, they could be used to generate a sustainable alternative to petrol without taking up space on land. Outdoor tests of the lightweight leaves on the river cam show they can convert sunlight into fuels as efficiently as plant leaves. Ocean waters in the Northern Hemisphere have been unusually warm in recent weeks, with parts of the North Atlantic and Northern Pacific undergoing particularly intense marine heat waves. Sea surface temperatures in these regions hit record levels this summer. Parts of the Pacific and North Atlantic have been anywhere from 2 to 5 degrees Celsius warmer than average at times, conditions that have not been observed since record-keeping began roughly six decades ago. Humpback whale songs spread from pod to pod across the Pacific Ocean. A team of researchers has found that songs created by humpback whales in some parts of the Pacific Ocean are mimicked by whales in other parts of the ocean. Prior research has shown that humpback whales sing intricate songs, some of them quite long, lasting up to 30 minutes. The researchers found that two pods, one in French Polynesia and the other near Ecuador, had been singing two very different songs from one another from 2016 to 2017. But then in 2018, both pods were recorded singing the same song. The researchers suggest their findings hint at the possibility of humpback whale songs migrating all the way across the southern hemisphere, though they note that they appear to propagate in just one direction, west to east. The researchers also suggest that song migration likely happens in many other species as well. The Brazilian Amazon recorded its worst month of August for forest fires since 2010, with an 18% rise from one year ago. The Brazilian INPE Space Agency said its satellites had recorded 33,116 fires in the rainforest in August this year. At least 3,358 fires were recorded on August 22nd alone. The number was nearly triple that recorded on the so-called Day of Fire, August 10th, 2019, when farmers launched a coordinated plan to burn huge amounts of felled rainforest in the northern state of Pará. The current heat wave over the western United States is breaking records by large margins. The heat wave bears shades of the unprecedented events that torched the Pacific Northwest in June of 2021 and Britain in July of this year, both of which scientists concluded would have been virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. Over the past week, more than 1,141 warm weather records have been set in the United States. Downtown Sacramento set an all-time high of 116 degrees on Tuesday. Records there date back to 1877. Salt Lake City has broken its previous September record high four times in six days. 
The previous monthly record was just 100, but it hit 105 on Tuesday, 104 on Monday, 103 on Saturday, and 102 on Thursday. It has hit at least 106 times this month. Bakersfield, California hit 115 degrees Tuesday. Death Valley hit 125 degrees Tuesday, tying its September record high and missing the September world record by just one degree. On Saturday, the low temperature in Death Valley of 102 degrees tied the highest minimum temperature ever recorded worldwide during September. It has topped 120 degrees on eight straight days and established a new September record for most days reaching at least 120 degrees. China has also logged its hottest August since records began, following an unusually intense summer heat wave that parched rivers, scorched crops, and triggered isolated blackouts. Southern China last month sweltered under what experts say may have been one of the worst heat waves in its history. Some 267 weather stations across China matched or broke temperature records last month. And now the sounds of extinction. In Pakistan, floodwaters are beginning to recede in some parts of the country. Other parts still resemble an inland sea. As much as a third of the South Asian nation remains underwater, and the death toll is approaching 1,500. As many as 33 million people have been affected in a disaster blamed on climate change that has left hundreds of thousands homeless, with almost two million homes destroyed by flood. Receding waters threaten a new challenge in the form of waterborne infectious diseases. And hear the sound of floodwaters. This is WRCR, Tough Times with Lou Young. You're listening to the podcast within a podcast, Earth Riot Radio, the Earth Church. Call with comments, 845-429-1700. We're with you in a moment. Isn't it delightful? I'm talking about when you hear that Standing Rock is taking place, when you hear Occupy Wall Street, when you hear Colin Kaepernick has kneeled during the Rockets' red glare in a football stadium, when you, when you see a picture of Greta Thunberg sitting on the sidewalk in front of a school she refuses to go to. And now I have to say, Chris Smalls, the Amazon Labor Union, standing at that bus stop opposite the parking lot, opposite that one million square foot warehouse full of conveyor belts and robots. And Chris and his friends, who later became the union, they just waited for the people to stumble out of that amazing work environment and just talk to them. Talk to them. How did it go today? And how am I doing? We're out here. We're, we're doing fine. We're sorry we got fired. We're sorry we're not in there with you. Maybe they'll rehire us when we vote for the union. And that's what they did. Chris and his friends stayed there for 300 evenings, talking to people, talking to people, talking and listening. The most sophisticated of all media. Hear me, Silicon Valley? 
So why is it possible for some of these little dramas to pierce through that blinding dust of meaninglessness that we talked about earlier? They have devils, they have a major action, they are steadfast in their belief. Each of us has to do that. Let's dedicate it today's Earth Riot show to finding our own great movement action. I know that every one of you hearing me, hearing me right now, I know that every one of you has your action waiting for you to discover it. I'm not talking about the immediate fame that some people get, but I'm talking about resistance. Joining the Earth right now as we must. If you're political, then you're in a life and death stakes story already. The Earth's crisis, the fire and the flood, the Earth's sixth extinction is, is it's so amazing, I'm, I'm stuttering on the phrase, sixth extinction. It's just <sighs> Pakistan and Greenland and California. It's happening every day. It's down in our minutes of our lives. If you make a political action for the earth right now, the earth is in you in that way. You have the fire and the flood. You have the disease and the superstorms in you. You are the earth yourself. earth hallelujah. We are the earth ourselves. And you and I, we are going to find our action. This saturation, this soup, this blinding dust storm of meaninglessness that the corporations just push on us. We can get through it, and we can get through it with the earth in us, and we can get through it in a way that is clear, has moral purpose to our witnesses. And we will join each other, and we will have an earth revolution. Let's be prophets together right now. Let's call what's going to happen. I want to thank some people. I want to thank uh, Salvatore D for the news from the natural world. And I want to thank the Stop Shopping Choir for singing their songs. We have a new album called Change Without Us. Very much an extinction title. And that eight songs is available to you at RevBilly.com. In fact, if you want to talk to us, you can email us there. R-E-V-Billy.com. We're glad to be here today, and we invite you to contact us at the Earth Church here in the East Village in New York City. We uh, all that information also at the website, at the church website. We have at 3 p.m. every week, yes, it's live streamed, every Sunday, 3 p.m., you can come to that website again, revbilly.com, and it'll point you to where the live stream is taking place. We'd love to love to invite you into our service. This week we're thinking about Barbara Ehrenreich. Barbara passed away about a week ago. A great one of our earth partners. Nickel and dimed is a Bible in our anti-consumerist activity. In our 20 years of resisting the cultural enforcement arm of capitalism. Not a day goes by that we don't think of her book, Nickel and Dined. Thank you, Barbara. I wish you the very best this week. 
Wish you safety and wildness. Find your action with the earth. Somebody give me an earth hallelujah. This is WRCR, WRCR.com. I'm Lou Young. Tough times at Lou Young. You've been listening to the podcast within a podcast, Earth Riot Radio. Uh, Reverend Billy, an unusually uh, good show today, I thought, Kevin, don't you think? Very, very informative. Uh, you know, I love the news from the natural world mm-hmm. because, uh, I, I mean, you really get to get this global picture of how things are being affected and right. uh, when you hear about ocean temperatures going up as high as they are yeah. when when you hear about the ice sheets i mean uh, it's 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 Tem- mind-boggling temperatures out west 125 uh, degrees yeah, i mean right. unbelievable uh, kevin thomas is here, here with us as always and george patonovic welcome george again oh, welcome yes. back and uh, on the phone we've have uh, our our good friends dr shaid naim a professor of ecology, chair of a department of ecology, evolution, and environmental biology at Columbia University, and Dr. Sarah Josen, who is a senior lecturer on international and public affairs at the Columbia School of International and Public Affairs, and uh, the author of uh, The Power of Deserts, Climate Change in the Middle East and the Promise of the Post-Oil Era, and she wrote that book, and, and, and she's also an expert in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, <laughs> so I guess we got wet and dry there. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi there, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you, you spent some time in the Arctic this, this summer, sir. I did, yeah. Um, and um, uh, I, I when talking to you earlier, was pointing out that um, I do research in the Arctic, but I'm not an Arctic scientist. <laughs> I do uh, see um, uh, I do see what's happening because I'm there. So, and of course, you know, uh, you and, and and most people who've been following what's been going on with climate change know that the Arctic and the Antarctic as well um, are seeing the effects of climate change. What two? The estimates gone up to four times more than um, anywhere else in the rest of the world. So, right. In a way, I wish we could take this sort of. Uh, climate deniers and the climate resistors, climate change resistors, up to the Arctic. It wasn't quite intensive, so they could see it firsthand. Well, well, tell, I, tell, me I, what, I tell me what you've seen. Well, you know, it started out, um, uh, we land in uh, Fairbanks, and then uh, there's still a mandatory quarantine, because when you're working in tight field stations, if somebody's carrying COVID, it would spread like wildfire. It was very uh, uh, expensive to do research there, and it's a long trip there. So after a week of quarantine, we then drove up from Fairbanks to my site. My site is north of the Brooks Range, so it's actually quite well above the Arctic Circle, which Mm -hmm. is a 66 degrees um, uh, latitude. And you take the Dalton Highway, which I think a lot of people know as the Ice Trucker Road, if you've seen the television show. (laughs) Wow. It's in the summer. Uh, it's also where the, uh, you know, the, the Alaskan pipeline runs all along it, and it, it services that, and the oil fields in Prudhoe Bay up by the Arctic Sea. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of ecologists who probably annoy them, I'm sure, as we road. It's a public road, so if you want to go and use it, uh, you know, free to do it. Um, but the, um, uh, uh, the, the field station is actually in the tundra, which is uh, north of the mountains and north of what we call tree line. So tundra really doesn't have much in the way of trees there. But before you get there, there's the boreal forest. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. You know, the boreal forest is sometimes described as the lungs of the earth because it has so many trees and so much photosynthesis goes on 
the summer and when the long days come in the, the, the warmer part of the season, they produce a ton of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And uh, they store a lot of carbon. But, of course, now because of climate change, there have been record numbers of fires. I think when we were there, there was something like 200 fires going on. Smoke was thick. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the air pollution uh, indices were just off the charts. Nothing you could do. You had to breathe it and look at these indices and said it's very unhealthy. Don't breathe it. What's it supposed to do, right? While we were driving, we were stopped for four hours on the road while one of these fires swept across the, um, uh, swept across the road. Alaska on fire. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, six of the last ten major fires in the U.S. have actually been in Alaska. But you don't hear much about it, you know, because the ones in California, uh, and so forth, attract our attention because of the, the you know, the, the calamity there and the human suffering and mm-hmm. the loss of real estate, and because it's close to the home. But Alaska is really burning up, and it just doesn't get in the news as much as others. And that's alarming, of course, because there's so much carbon stored in the Alaskan boreal forest and in the Alaskan tundra. Right. We drive past the boreal forest, over the mountains, and into the tundra, which is this vast expanse that goes all the way to the Arctic Sea. However, the U.S. only you know, has a small part of the tundra. The tundra circles the globe, but it's in Scandinavia, in uh, Siberia, and um, in many other parts of uh, the world. Canada has a big chunk of it. It's like 10% of the, uh, 10% of the Earth is actually uh, tundra. And, uh, but we have a, a bit of it because we, uh, we have Alaska. Mm-hmm. And um, um, that's where we're doing our research. It's a National Science Foundation. Right. So what we mostly saw were the fires. And, of course, when I get to my site, you know, the, um, uh, because the permafrost, the, the, the uh, soil that's frozen year-round, there's less and less of it because of the melting. So it's harder to navigate. Um, it's harder to walk. It's ironic because the amount of rain that falls in the tundra is so low, many people consider it the equivalent of a desert. But because of the thawing, um, you're basically walking around in a giant wetland. And, of course, because it's a giant wetland, there are clouds of mosquitoes. Um, so you have to wear bug suits to keep them off of you. Uh, there's, no, there's no diseases up there, so you don't have to worry like you do with the mosquitoes in the tropics. But um, you know, just to actually go there and see how everything is melting, everything is changing, and because of the extreme swings, to uh, drought and warm uh, temperatures, yeah. you wind up uh, getting fires um, that, like you've ever had before. Uh, th- th- this so there are fires and there's, there's, there's melting and mud and wetness everywhere. Oh, wow. Do- Dr. Naeem, do- uh, Dr. Joseph's there with you? Yes. Yeah. Now, do you guys have a, a handset uh, that you can pass around? Because it, uh, I'm getting a little, it's a little hard to hear you on the uh, speakerphone there. Uh, well, um, we'll just speak up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just be as loud I, as possible. <laughs> okay, great. We well, appreciate that. Uh, the um, uh, so you you paint a, a grim picture there, and uh, and uh, Dr. Joseph, thank you for joining us too as well. I, I appreciate it. I remembered when you were here last time, uh, uh, you uh, were as pessimistic as me about the future and and all the things we're seeing changing. But some things have happened since then. We saw the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, I don't know why they call it that, but they did. Ah, uh, <laughs> I can tell you why they call it that. <laughs> okay, please yeah. enlighten so us. It used to be in the in the old days of policy making, they would have pretty straightforward titles like the Clean Water Act yeah. or the Clean Air Act. 
And now, in the political climate, um, various strategists have decided that pieces of uh, monumental legislation should be um, appealing to people's most desperate concerns. And right now, of course, uh, inflation is on everyone's mind. And so to have a piece of legislation, which is a monumental achievement on the climate front, to be called Inflation Reduction Act appeals to more people. I, I, so, I guess our expert in public affairs would know this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, to, to speak to this um, sort of current events, something that's happening today is that the uh, remainders of a typhoon uh, are about to hit Alaska. Right. And, yeah, and so what they're finding is that because sea ice has melted earlier um, in the season, there's less protection against high uh, winds and high uh, waves, such as this typhoon. And so they're predicting a massive and sustained flooding along the um, Alaskan uh, coastline. Uh, did did we'll, I... Did did I hear 50-foot waves? Was that correct? Yeah, that's, uh, well, I haven't seen the 50, um, but the National Weather Service predicts it could be the worst coastal flooding in 50 years. Wow. Um, and so those st- storm surges um, go along with other destabilizing effects of, of climate change. Um, the thing about the Arctic is that there's been a lot of um, excitement over the potential up side of climate change, that maybe there are more resources to be uh, garnered from the, from the Arctic uh, with melting ice. And in fact, you may recall a couple of years ago during the Trump administration, they, they floated uh, what they saw as a serious suggestion of buying Greenland from Denmark. <laughs> uh, well, you got to laugh. It's not funny, but you got to laugh. Oh, well, given that they were actually very serious about it, you, know, you want to know why, and and part of the rationale was that well they're unlocking uh, mineral resources with all of this melting of right. ice. And as we um, rem- as we remind our listeners that they're, uh, you're listening to WRCR uh, and WRCR.com in Garnerville, New York. Uh, yeah, we want to know more about that, uh, uh, Doctor Joseph. I mean, the, um, the peop- well, some people see this as an economic opportunity, but uh, you know, will we be alive to enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that it's, it's really going to probably be uh, opportunity for flag-waving from um, a lot of the countries that are, are the, coast, the Arctic coastal states. So, um, as Professor Naeem said, the U.S., Canada, Russia, Denmark, Norway um, are very interested about the strategic uh, impact impact of climate mm-hmm. change. Is it going to make much difference on uh, resources? Probably not, because with this increased severity of storms, um, drilling platforms are ever more vulnerable to those storms. And so, in fact, the private industry is a little wary about losing uh, multi-million dollar or billion dollar operations in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Russia certainly wants to um, show its dominance of the region, and they do sort of symbolic, um, they 
actually planted a flag on the ocean floor, the Arctic Ocean floor. Um, and certainly there's whoa, a lot of... Whoa, 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 whoa. They planted a flag yes, on the ocean a, floor? Yes, to, to suggest that they were um, the rightful um, owners. owners of a, of a subarctic um, ridge uh, that may or may not have vault, uh, valuable mineral rights. It was a publicity stunt, yeah. but it has symbolic, you know, value. Wow. I think it was about about maybe seven years ago or so. Whoa! Okay, we got a lot to a lot to unpack there. I'll tell you that, um, uh, Doctor. Uh uh, Naeem and Dr. Josen, I, I know that you're both um, uh, dealing with uh, uh, graduate students at uh, Columbia University, people who are um, focusing on climate uh, as a field of study, if not uh, a profession. I'm, I'm, are these folks going into the, uh, the, the climate sciences as a profession? Well, you know, it depends. Um, so um, uh, our department, for example, as you mentioned, the long title, Ecology, Evolution, and Environmental Biology, um, the graduate students we are taking are really passionate about two things. One is addressing environmental change, which includes climate change, but also it's the science. I mean, and if you're going to be spending five to six years of the best years of your life um, uh, pursuing a degree, a professional degree, um, you have to be passionate about that and wear a science degree. So many of them are going into the field because they love the science. They love to get out to these areas and learn how to quantify climate change, how to model climate change, how to come up with solutions to climate change. Then there's the other side of it, which would be more about the activism, the political side, more like what you're doing, communication, um, public outreach, and so forth. Um, and in, in my department, which is the science department, uh, we encourage that, but that's not the, the crowd I see. Maybe Sarah's uh, graduate students are different. Um, my graduate students are highly motivated uh, by the climate crisis that we're in to make a change. And that might be in the private sector, for instance, especially with uh, renewable energy and uh, initiatives by uh, companies to have environmental, social, and governance reporting. So there are lots of uh, opportunities in the private sector. But many are also excited by the public sector and the nonprofit sector because each one of them has a part to play. And I think that the biggest challenge for each of them and for us as faculty is to not be mired in depressing news because nothing comes of the apocalyptic perspective that can depress people into stasis. Instead, it is finding uh, glimmers of hope or ways forward to at least slow down some of the change, if not, in fact, uh, reverse it. And the Inflation Reduction Act promises to reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions by the U.S. by 40 percent, um, and that is essential, and we just have to make sure that we follow through. So I'm hearing some optimism there, am I, uh, Dr. Chosen? Just a touch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, um, it is, uh, uh, in fact, I remember when I was a, a graduate student that uh, uh, the professor, one of uh, two professors who were, were advising me said that the default 
you know, the, the, the default position of somebody working in the environment has to be one of optimism. <laughs> Otherwise, <Yes>. don't get involved. <laughs> it's I true. think that's very true. We wouldn't yeah. be doing this if we thought, what's, what's the point? <laughs> what's Except the, the, the science is fun. And you, you're asking about, you know, so the, there's the academic positions. You, you know that um, Columbia University uh, has started the, the, the climate school. The climate the school, yes, the, yes. That's over at uh, uh, Lamont Daughtry, right here in Rockland, right? Yeah, so, so I'm not sure. I think they're looking to get a, a new building, which might actually be in Manhattan. Oh, okay. But a lot of the researchers who would be in that, who are in that program, are at Lamont Dougherty because they've been doing climate modeling and climate research for a long time. But you know, Stanford now has a climate school. You may have seen in the news. Um, they got 1.4 billion dollars to create a new climate school. So these are, you know, lots of opportunities for those who are getting trained in climate science, climate policy, um, and, and, and climate activism. So I think they're very optimistic um, uh, in terms of finding uh, uh, places to go and put what they learn um, to work, um, whether it's in the social and political arena or whether it's in the science arena. That's terrific. I, I, um, we're waiting uh, later on in this half hour um, uh, we're going to get a call from uh, Peter McCart, who is the um, the director of conservation and sustainability for the for Westchester County, and which is a, it sounds like a, a job that well, it's a job that didn't exist, you know, a few years back, and uh, and but he's a, a person who applies himself and applies the uh, whatever resources that the uh, government in in Westchester has uh, to these to these ideas, these concepts. So. Um, uh, that's uh, where do you where do you hope these climate warriors are training? And if you pardon my uh, hyperbole, uh, um, uh, uh, where do you hope they'll be deployed in the uh, in the fight to uh, to stabilize things? Well, for for, for my uh, so Sarah is in the School of uh, 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 International Public Affairs, mm -hmm. but I am in Arts and Sciences and in the Natural Science Division. So we have slightly different um, directions. We send our warriors, as you call them, in. Um, so my students um, uh, and the students in our department, it's not just me, we have several people in our department who do this work, mm -hmm. um, they're hoping to go off either to uh, small liberal arts colleges or other places where they can teach. And I actually think that teaching is probably one of the most uh, you know, impactful or um, uh, um, uh, forces of change that, that we have. I think about you know the papers I've published, and they're highly cited, and I'm well-known and so forth. But I think more about the uh, probably thousands of students I have taught over the 30 years that I've been doing this. At the University of Michigan, I was there. There were 750 students in the class. And so even if only 1% of them were paying attention, <laughs> that's a lot of people yeah. who are now you know, going to go out and if not actually directly affecting change through their jobs and through the work that they do, they'll vote the right way, right? Um, so I think that um, uh, one of my students who just graduated, she's very passionate about communication and about uh, teaching, even though her work was done in the Andaman Islands and looking at um, you know, how biodiversity law in tropical forests is affecting the services people get from them. But she wants to go and be, she's already gotten a small grant to take publications that come out in these highfalutin science journals that no one can read except scientists and actually translate them using sort of like a, a graphic novel approach so that people can actually understand what they say. Yes. And I'm very proud of her for her doing that. Mm -hmm. But some of my other students are, really want to do mathematical modeling mm -hmm. of, uh, of climate change and biodiversity loss. 
And they're all looking to be either, you know, top-notch researchers at places like Lamont or Columbia or NYU, um, or to be educators in small liberal arts colleges. One of our students went off to be a wildlife photographer. So there's quite a range of things they do. Well, George is a photographer. That's I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, hey, you know, um, we were reminding our viewers that we're talking to Dr. Shahid Naeem and Dr. Sarah Josen, uh, both from the uh, uh, Columbia University, and uh, both... Uh, um, really highly regarded experts in uh, uh, climate uh, research and, 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 uh, and communications and uh, environmental biology and, uh, and all of that stuff and um, helping to explain it. So, you know, at the beginning of the um, show, doctors, uh, 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 professors, the, the, we, we, we uh, introduced the, the folks to a, a book I just picked up called The Carbon Almanac. I don't know if you've heard of it. And it's called The Carbon Almanac, It's Not Too Late. And you, you talked about this um, graphic novel kind of approach. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, uh, the, the, the three uh, uh, simple minds that are, <laughs> that are here in the studio. <laughs> we understood it. We understood <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were, we, were, we were reading through it. It's climate change in front of your eyes, climate change for rookies. I think they meant dummies, but that, that was probably a, And so, we, we, you know, what, what things do you notice... Um, uh, you know, in your surroundings that are indicators of climate change. And, and, and we look for storms and, 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 uh, and floods and hurricanes and, right. and, and cataclysmic events. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, what's the evidence? Maybe more blackouts, uh, uh, more flooded basement, um, flo- frozen gutters, fallen trees, you know. And then you know, look at the unemployment, uh, uh, grocery, uh, higher grocery bills, Insurance costs going up, declining home values, uninsurable homes, all those things are um, uh, partially uh, the result of climate change. It, not, not entirely, of course, but, 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 uh, but you could take a line of reasoning and attach it to any one of those things. And when you collect them all, they are like, um, um, as the Reverend Billy said in his, uh, his piece today, like grains of sand in a sandstorm. Mm-hmm. You know, individually, uh, they might not necessarily indicate anything, but collectively, uh, it, there's something going on that we have to address. Uh, the, 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 in other words, the signs are all, ar- all around us, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so this is uh, Sarah, and I just wanted to step back a, a few minutes and say that uh, I was not an author of a book about deserts. I, I haven't been, but I do write about uh, the North Pacific Ocean. So the other end of the spectrum, I've oh. got a couple of books on scientific cooperation in the, in the North Pacific, which is obviously um, uh, also goes into the Arctic uh, region. Well, you know what? I, I guess I, I learned something today. You can't believe everything you read on the Internet. I don't know where I got Maybe I just read it wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. <laughs> Sometimes it's really nice to be known for things, but um, especially <laughs> <laughs> things we didn't do. <laughs> yeah, so you, you raised the issue uh, earlier about uh, where do the students go, yeah. and in fact, many of my students will go to uh, municipalities because it is at the local level mm-hmm. where you can sometimes have the most immediate uh, direct yes. impact, whether it's as a sustainability officer or working on something that seems far removed, zoning. But in fact, zoning is critical for uh, siting of um, uh, solar panels or uh, other renewable sources, things like that. 
Yeah, um, we're talk we've been talking about that. We we're talking about we have a a, a, a gentleman who uh, who has put solar panels on his uh, land uh, the capped landfills here in Rockland County, and uh, and uh, I am a uh, I am an official in, in a town in a village in Mamaroneck, and we are uh, looking to do uh, a similar thing. Uh, down there uh, with municipal yeah, power it's, generation. Yeah. It, it's at the local level, mm -hmm. unsung heroes, uh, because um, we, we hear about such things as this Antarctic Treaty, this uh, global treaty of governance for the Antarctic. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to do that for the Arctic, uh, and I'm afraid that we, that we won't be able to, but mostly cooperative in the Arctic. Um, but the international cooperation takes massive numbers of years, decades sometimes, uh, whereas at the local level you can make real change. And that's why we encourage our students to get engaged with, for instance, town hall meetings. They might not be flashy, but that's where things happen. And sometimes they are flashpoints. <laughs> yes. Sarah, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is George. Um, I'm the president of SPACE, the Stony Point Action Committee for the Environment, and we started 32 years ago, and our emphasis has been always on encouraging people to attend and participate in local town government, whether it's the town board meetings, the planning and zoning board meetings, as you mentioned, because that's where the policies are actually uh, made, you know, and, uh, and you can see direct change in your communities, and the policies are really affected there. In fact, um, in Rock, you might have heard in Rockland County, uh, we went through a, a drought emergency this past month. It was declared uh, back on August 18th, and uh, we enacted several different kinds of water restrictions for residents to, you know, use water more cautiously. Um, things like the lawn watering twice a week or flower gardens, uh, you know, every other day, uh, nursery facilities try to reduce, and golf courses to try to reduce their use by 10%. There was a number of different policies that the county executive declared were necessary uh, and mandated, okay, for a month, and those restrictions were just recently lifted. But in the time that they were in effect, we actually reduced our water use by 15%, which I think was a great accomplishment. Um, so it's, it's uh, that sort of change, and, but now that they've been lifted, um, the, the county executive was concerned because part of the policies that we got from the Public Service Commission uh, for these kinds of water rates uh, change based on the amount of water you use. Like, for example, a, a residential use would be low, uh, would have a certain rate, and then a medium use. So low would be your basic uses for water, like, uh, you know, cooking and cleaning and things like this. But then when you go to a next level for um, lo more lawn watering, uh, things like this, you're a higher level user. You, get, you pay a little more for that. And then the highest users or super users are people who have big lawns and pools and everything else, and they're using a lot more water. Um, you know, so these, these restrictions based on price increases are supposed to try to get people to conserve more, even during a, a drought situation. Yeah, um, yeah so it's a, it's a change in policies, but it, you know, originally before we got involved with the Rockland Water Coalition and, and getting the Public Service Commission to change their policies, they actually used to give people incentives when they used more water, they paid less. You know, so we actually got a reverse on that. Instead of it a, as being a declining cost, it became an inclining cost. So the more you use, the more you pay, and that was a better incentive for people to uh, reduce their water use. Yes, in, in the program uh, where I teach, uh, the fundamental focus is on creating policy professionals who can bridge the technical information with the public 
uh, awareness. So you brought up that um, uh, that nice uh, Carbon Almanac book, yes. uh, and it's really uh, in the last 50 years or so, or 40, where there has been much more focus on translating complex science to uh, the public audience to try mm -hmm. to ensure that we have a kind of democracy where people yes. can weigh in with informed um, um, assessments of, of what right. is going on. Yeah, we've and always so the this. signals are all around us, and mm -hmm. everyone in class, when you ask them what they have seen, um, they have all uh, been aware of or experienced, as you say, something like a local or regional drought or price increases, uh, various other signals. But you're absolutely right that a lot of the policies that are on the books were made so long ago that they need to be revisited and revised for uh, more unstable environmental signals. Yeah. And, and maybe we, you know, I'm uh, getting in trouble for saying it, but we probably need to rethink the whole lawn thing. The lawn, yeah. Like lawns are the biggest reuse. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yes, and there are, there are great initiatives out there now yes. that you have to go to municipalities and say, you cannot declare a, a wildflower garden to be a public nuisance, which is what my mother faced back <laughs> in the 1970s. Somebody, a neighbor, called the city on her for being a, a, and a nuisance, uh, attracting rats is what they said. And my mother was a very small powerhouse, so she stood only about five foot two, but she stood up to the city and the city uh, um, backed off. And yeah. so we, we had a wildflower garden and a, and a woodland garden. We, we and call, they can come in all different sizes. You don't yeah. have to have huge acreage. We but call them can, pollinator gardens now, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. You can make a biodiverse uh, surrounding that will do all sorts of uh, good things. One of the things that it brings up also, uh, Sarah, is that when you use less water, uh, the water company is selling less water, so of course they want to make a certain profit. So in the case of Rockland County, the Public Service Commission gave a guaranteed yearly annual rate that the water company would make. So these penalties, especially for the higher water users, they pay that additional use over the time. So if you're using less, you get rewarded by paying the lower rate, but as you use more and, and, and you go beyond a certain amount, you actually pay a penalty on top of the higher rate of 25%. Wow. Unfortunately, when the county executive suspended the water rates, uh, the, the water emergency. Uh, he didn't want uh, people to pay more, this 25% surcharge, but not sure he was realizing that, in fact, that 25% surcharge only applies to residential users who exceed the highest level of use, not the regular users, ones who really go w way above uh, what is even the highest category of residential use. And really, they should pay more for that sort of... You, you don't think he realized that? Well, you know, the thing is that people have big homes and big lawns, and, and you know, this is the sort of thing... Big uh, well, he was talking about the fact that we have polio in Rockland County. He was saying, well, we want to make sure people use enough water. Uh, they had to wash their hands. Well, you're not going to use that much water washing your hands. It's the people who have excesses or don't follow the mandate to reduce water use are the ones who should pay yeah. the difference. Well, it's a complicated problem. It is a complicated problem, yeah. Uh, guys, listen, guys, thank you so much for calling in. I, I really, really appreciate you taking time. I know you were uh, – you're. You, it's, it's the start of the uh, – 
Is it the start of the semester? Yeah, the start of the semester? Yeah, just recently, right? Yeah. End of August, right? So you got... Second, second week, and of course, it's always chaotic. And you got, <laughs> Even you got, though they've been doing it for 300 years, it's still always chaotic. <laughs> and you got papers to grade. You got to learn everybody's name. <laughs> you got all this stuff, uh, and, and, and you took time uh, to call us, and I, I, I deeply appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, well, it's always fun. Yes. And what you're, doing, what you're doing is important, so I'm glad we're able to do this. I Thank you. We I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Is there something that you, you'd like us to talk about before you go? Uh, well, not in a small space of time. I guess, I guess the one thing is, and it's sort of come up here, is that, you know, you're talking about the carbon almanac, which I've not seen, so thanks for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things, so I've just been teaching Introduction to Environmental Biology, about 60 students in the class. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the messages we do in the very first couple of weeks is that carbon is everything and that every single living thing is carbon-based. Second point of that is that our climate system is driven by a trillion tons of living organisms Mm -hmm. which are made of carbon. Mm -hmm. So in fact, if there's anything we should really be, um, uh, you know, interested in in terms of understanding the living world, it is in fact carbon and Mm -hmm. then we'd understand how it's all connected to climate change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so just, you know, just last week, (laughs) Don, um, I mean, just just Wednesday and Monday, I've been going over these, and, and I think that you know, books like well, your your programs and books like the Carbon Almanac that can draw attention to the fact that we are all part. I think maybe it was uh, the Reverend Billy who said, <laughs> you know, that we are the climate. Yeah. There's actually some truth in that because you know yeah. we're made of carbon. I remember that um, one of my uh, colleagues, who's an ecosystem scientist, I love studying plants, animals, microorganisms, but he studies chemistry. And so I asked him to explain, you know, why does he find that exciting? And he said, if you think about it, that the carbon that, you know, is in your body may have once been resident inside Tyrannosaurus rex, and before that in an ammonite or a, tri- a trilobite, or, you know, in a lion in Kenya. We're all part of the world, both past, present, and, of course, the future as well. So when people get more and more of a sense of their direct and personal connection to climate, Carbon becomes less abstract and more of something. I actually suggested once that we get rid of the dollar, which used to be based on gold, and that we have our currency based on carbon. (laughs) (laughs) Carbon uh, trading. I think that would would bring the economics uh, of the world in line with Mm. climate if everything we had was based on what our carbon stocks were. It's in a a science fiction novel about climate change, there is a a solution there called... uh, Carbon coins, which is a they they make uh, carbon coins, which are a kind of a Bitcoin that mm-hmm. are traded. Uh, it's it's a it's a little complicated, but uh, people have thought of that. Yes. All right, so I, <laughs> I'm telling you, I, uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's not a bad idea. Um, uh, and you know you know the you know the book uh, Drawdown. Yeah. It, you you've seen that right? Project Drawdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- it's it's uh, the Carbon Almanac is the same publisher. And the exact same dimensions as that book. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it, 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 if you put them side by side, they look like the same. The, you know, the, uh, yeah. the same thing. So uh, I got a feeling that uh, that there's a connection there somewhere, but although I haven't uh, verified that. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Uh, uh, thank well, you. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much, and, and, and we hope to, 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 to speak with you again, uh, uh, both again soon, and and uh, have a great semester, and uh, and good luck to your students, and. Uh, and safe travels if you're going going up north again, okay? Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye Bye. now. All right. Bye. What, what, what great folks. I mean, the, 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 I, uh, we, 
we jokingly call them the big brains. They're uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, smart, 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 smart people. Right. Um, uh, I think uh, you know the the whole idea is that if we collect all these signs that we're seeing, and we interpret them correctly, we can see clearer what's happening, and uh, and it, 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 we, we try to look at one thing and, and identify what it is. We got the you got those CCR songs. Uh, uh, yes, I do. How about uh, Have you ever seen the rain? All right. All right. Sounds good. Let's listen to that. And and while we, uh, uh, I just want to say one quick thing before we put the music on. You know, uh, just yeah. to finish what I had been saying. The uh, the fact is that the drought in Rockland is not over, even though the county executive decided to suspend the oh, yeah. requirements oh. and made it volunteer. People still have to conserve water, and and part of his announcement of of the suspension was to continue. Uh, but it's not required, so it, it sends a mixed message in some ways right. to people, and I think we have to take it very seriously. I think we it's something we pro- George, we need to do it all the time. Yes, I mean, whether and we're it's or not. And many of us in the Rockland Water Coalition are trying to s- suggest to the county that we have ongoing conservation, not just during times of drought. I think that's the important policy. You don't have to serve water in restaurants uh, and people's tables that throw it away. Things like this that are cleaning pavement with your hose, things that are just wasteful uses of water resources. We have to, you know, take them more seriously. Well, it's always better to be preemptive preemptive exactly you know know, and i think that's the movement we have to see uh and supported by our local government all right okay so you know water from water yes to to have you ever seen the rain have you ever seen the rain back in a moment thank you Oh 
Have you ever seen the rain coming down on a sunny day? All right, that's, uh, you know, have you seen the signs, you know? So uh, if you feel like chatting on this, and it's uh, September 17th where you are, 845-429-1700. We've had some great folks on the phone today. Um, uh, Sarah, Dr. Sarah Joseph and uh, Dr. Shai Daim from Columbia University. My friends in the Rockland Water Coalition, you, this is your opportunity to make yeah, a phone yeah. call. Hey, uh, Marty. Hey, Marty, you out there on Long Island. 845-429-1700. <laughs> I know he's like to hear from you. you know, but, uh, you know, what, what is this... Uh, what is this we're going to do? What are we going to uh, we're going to do about our uh, our future? What, what's that chart you got there? What is that? Well, you know, I was one of the things I didn't get a chance. We get our water from different sources in Rockland, mainly Lake DeForest, and then assorted wells in Rockland mm-hmm. County. But one of the other main sources, the Ramapo Well Field over in Ramapo, and that is at an all-time low. Really, it's very, very low. And this chart shows how over the past week it was really too low to draw from. So this is the problem is the problem's not gone. You know, we don't see it necessarily because this is a well field under the under the ground. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely the Ramapo River is suffering uh, from this drought and you know, it just reminds us that uh, you know, while we may not be aware of it visually, but we should be aware of the fact that our water comes from different sources and Rockland County I mentioned before is unique, different than Westchester County in that we only get the water that rains here. We don't have an aqueduct from upstate New York coming down and supplying us with water. So we have to be particularly careful and, and conscious of the fact that our water resources are limited and it goes into a lot into how we not only uh, manage them but how we plan for the future and the types of terp- certain uses that we are going to have for construction and development and be conscious of the fact that the water okay. we don't want to go back to a, another proposal for a desal plant in the Hudson River which we desalination, yeah, yeah, desalination no, plant so you know this is the re- and, and, and as a result of stopping that plant we got the water company at the time it was United Water then Suez and now it's Veolia we got them to change their policies away from expanding source of water to that of conservation so and, you know and, this and is exp- a big difference in how we approach water use explaining the reason uh, I mean you know the Hudson is a river but um, at this point where we are, and actually all the way to Poughkeepsie, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a tidal right. river. Mm-hmm. So it, is, um, it has salt water mixed in with it mm-hmm. um, at various levels uh, all through here. Right. So you can't, drink, yeah. you can't drink that yeah. water. You've got to take the salt out of it. Right. So that's, that's what they had proposed years ago. That the, uh, in Haverstraw Bay. Yeah. The, uh, the, what, what, the, what was the name of the company? The, uh, At the time it was well, United Water. Was United, the, was yeah. the, that, you know, they changed names now. Not, they were Suez and now they're uh, uh, Veolia. Veolia. Yeah, so Veolia. it's the second or first largest wor- company in the world. you got these big corporations that yeah. own our water, basically. Yeah. And so they, uh, they had planned to uh, uh, suck water out of the Hudson River. Right. And, and, and desalinate it, which, which was made, very energy intensive. Yeah, yeah. and then and then uh, you know, give it to people here to drink or yeah. use. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, perfectly good water right. comes right through Rockland County on its way to water lawns in Bergen. County, well, that's right. The, the Lake DeForest <laughs> water, they, which they have a percentage of, they they were going to take more of that water and send it yeah. down to Bergen County. So we would have been paying for the desal plan to have more of our. Lake DeForest water sent to Bergen County. That was their plan. Oftentimes, in activism, is trying to figure out what's really going on, and that was their uh, plan all along. You know, even though they made it sound differently, uh, it was all about that. And plus, we had Indian Point operating with tritium and strontium going into the river, and uh, you know, as a concern of, of drinking or strontium could not be uh, taken out of the out of the river. So we had radionuclides basically that could be affecting our water quality well, as well. You know, it's funny on, on the way in, we were listening. Uh, uh, to uh, I was listening to the radio and uh, talk about strontium in your water. Yeah. There's a new brand of vodka. 
<laughs> called Atomic Vodka. You heard about this? Ah. No. Yeah, and it's made from from grains and potatoes and stuff, you know, whatever. It's made from things that are grown in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. <laughs> so, and and all the profits go to help people who are affected by the meltdown. And really, they they. they they assure us it's safe. It's, <laughs> it's radioactive. Atomic vodka. I don't know. I don't, think it's, I, I don't know that the, the, the I don't know that the vodka you make from the wheat would still be. Re- I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying that. Though. Although I do, there there is a good Ukrainian vodka. Okay. I, uh, yeah. I, 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 if you want to talk vodka That's for a while. That's what Putin wanted, I guess, in the Ukraine. <laughs> well, you know what? That was the other reason why he invaded, I guess. Here's, I, I, uh, Stoliknaya did a whole, um, did a whole uh, publicity campaign to assure people that they're not Russian, that, they, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the, uh, the booze is made in Latvia. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> but yeah. vodka's vodka. I don't know. I mean, it's a, you know what somebody told me once? You know, distilled ten times, you know? And they go, the guy says, uh, is that, that's good, right? He goes, you know, if you do it right, you don't have to, you only have to distill it once. <laughs> 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 so t- seven, eight, ten times is not necessarily a, uh, a uh, selling point, but uh, it is. The way, the way the, well, so, uh, you, know, you know, while these changes with the Public Service Commission and how they changed the water rates really did affect the way people think of using water because they're going to pay more the more they use. In addition to single-family residential, there's also multifamily. And you have apartment buildings that could have eight units in them, and those could have 30 units in them. And they actually are under the same guidelines. So the people who have more units are going to use more water, and therefore it's less of an incentive for them to conserve. So we think there's probably a need for the Public Service Commission to re-examine the way we did the multifamily residential rates to make an incentive for the people who live in those larger apartment buildings to get recognized when they conserve and not be thrown in with a, a, a rate of usage that could be applied to almost any size building. And the same thing with businesses. There's certain businesses, like for example, a warehouse uses very little water. They have a bathroom, basically. But if you have a car wash or a hospital or uh, a nursing home or restaurants, they use a higher level of water. So really those need to be considered in how we identify water usage, you know, normal water usage in those, and then also incentives for them to conserve. So we think there's probably also a need within the non-residential or business and industrial category to also have the Public Service Commission re-examine that. So this is part of a process, and we're, we think we're off to a good start to stress conservation over expanding and building new plants for water. But I think we have to also re-examine the way these rates are, are structured to make sure they're fair and give an incentive to those who wish to conserve water and, and not waste it, which yeah. is the whole point. And it's interesting, George, the way, the way the water situation on either side of the Hudson is completely different. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah, I mean, you you describe what happens uh, on the Rockland side. Yeah. On the Westchester side, they've right. got this. Uh, they, they have access to this um, massive uh, uh, s- uh, uh, series of. Well, Croton is. Uh, there are two systems. There's yeah. a Croton system, yeah. and there's the Catskill system. Right, right. And the Catskill system for New York City. Uh, I mean, you're talking about nine gigantic reservoirs, yeah. and 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 a, and a, and a, um, a watershed the yeah. size of Delaware. That supplies New York City with water, yes. and these, these are and heavily protected. I know heavily. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the forethought mm-hmm. and the vision that went into this way back. Aqueduct, when. yeah. Um, uh, and yes, on, on the Westchester side, we have uh, we have pretty clear access to the Croton system, which mm-hmm. is a a, a re- pretty big reservoir. Oh, absolutely! I know. I live, used to live yeah. there. Yeah, and they got yeah. that that giant dam at Valhalla, which mm-hmm. is just uh, north of, uh, yeah. of, of 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 White Plains, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
So a lot of our, our water in that communities there comes from there. And you have in these communities mm-hmm. old reservoirs and dams that they don't use anymore because they right. have access to that. Right. So they've got municipal. Sh- you mean municipal? Or what, yeah, uh, there, yeah. There was a, there was there's a Larchmont reservoir. There was a Maranek yeah. reservoir. I know. I lived in Austin. There was an Austin reservoir. Yeah, I think the yeah. town. I think that that Austin provided their own community with water back then. It may not do that today. And, and, and one of the problems we're having is that uh, that old reservoir uh, in Maranek uh, is was allowed to fill with silt. It got shallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dam was not repaired. Right. Um, uh, the water goes around it. And then when in, when we get a lot of rain and upstream uh, runoff, mm-hmm. we get floods. Yeah, yeah. So we've got too much water. No, yeah. And um, in the wrong place. And and we have an aquifer. <laughs> we also have an aquifer yeah. under the under the village mm-hmm. that uh, is f- full most of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, have you ever heard of a, a, a non-potable water system where they? Uh, uh, where they pump out the water and use it for non-drinking purposes, like uh, I know databases and things like this need water, and they don't have to use drinking quality water. I know we could think of secondary use for water. Yeah. I, I think that's part of it, but we don't want to go to toilet to tap water, which is could be an alternative where we run out of water. So we don't necessarily, you know, go that direction where we purify toilet water to make it tap water. So I think it's an incentive for us to conserve our natural water yeah. resources. Stony Point had a similar problem with the reservoir we had there for many years uh, off of uh, what people know as Route 210 and the development that went along that corridor. A lot of the silt went into the stream that fed that reservoir and caused, at the time it was Spring Valley water, before United Water it was Spring Valley water. They had to close that reservoir because the silt came in. So it's an example of an abuse of a natural resource. And I think in development phases, we uh, this is what we were you know, talking about you know, development and planning boards and zoning boards, we need to really consider how we protect our water resources and do it seriously because this is a, a limited resource and one that we have to preserve during the development stage as well as the, uh, the way we use our water. All right. Well. So, um, wow. I mean, there's a lot, lot It's a climate change issue. I mean, it's, you know, it's absolutely yeah. climate I mean, it's, change. Yeah, we're relating everything to climate change, but it's either too much water or it's drought. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or the same system... Uh, uh, abuses you or endangers you with either too little or too much, yeah. depending on what time of year it is and whether it rains recently. Yeah. So um, uh, our issue uh, in Westchester, in, in Lower Westchester, yeah. is we gotta when the water comes down, we gotta be able to get it out mm-hmm. into the sound yes. because um, it backs up right. and it eventually drains, but it doesn't. It drains after it floods. Right. right. So uh, that's just not acceptable yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know. So we got tough things ahead. Yeah. The show is called Tough Times, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. and uh, so uh, we're going to, uh, uh, you know, we want to think about, I don't want to focus on the negative, but you got to... Yeah. you got to identify the you negative. you got to identify it, 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 you know? It's, it's being honest about what's really going on. Right. I mean, okay. that's what it comes down to. So, Frank, and, so what I'm saying here is I see a bad moon rising. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> oh, you see it, that's who the what?
CCR, Bad Moon Rising, you know? I uh, hear rivers overflowing, all that stuff. Hey, you, 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 while, while the record was on, you were, t- you were t- saying that to you. You're yeah, shame about the band. I, I, re- I remember uh, when Creedence Clearwater Revival was inducted in the Rock and Hall of Fame, and this was uh, years ago. Uh, John Fogarty and the other three guys in the band, including his brother Tom, uh, showed up, uh, made their speeches, and then uh, John decided that uh, he hated the other three guys so much that uh, he did not want to uh, play on stage with them afterwards. So he had his own band there, and uh, the other three guys eventually just left. Uh, I mean, it was pretty harsh, pretty harsh. Although, you know what? Uh, those those things, some weird stuff happened. I, I remembered when... Uh this is, this is. I guess we're digressing from climate change. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Music change. When, when Fleetwood Mac was inducted, and and I was outraged that Bob Welch uh, wasn't uh, right. wasn't included because he he was the the heart of that band through their early albums like Bear, he, Bear he, Trees. He was the bridge between Peter Green's uh, yeah, yeah. Fleetwood Mac and and uh, eventually what would become uh, with, with Stevie Nicks and, right. And I said, why wouldn't you? Yeah, but apparently uh, they decided they only. They only liked the Buckingham Knicks version of Fleetwood Mac, and right. uh, which was just huge. Right, I, I, right. I, I no mean, doubt about it. But uh, you know what a what a slap to a guy like Peter uh, well, uh, Bob, Bob, Bob Welch. Welch. But but you know, uh, if you listen to some of the albums from back then uh, with uh, Bob Welch at, at the uh, helm. There's some really good music in there. It's some some really good blues rock. Uh, yeah. Not not quite the same as uh, Peter Green in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it was it was strange. It was almost like a mixture of the Fleetwood Macs uh, on either side yeah. of it. Uh, the the bookends. It was funny when I and when I was in uh, I just gotten out of college. I had a record player and all this, and my my roommates we and we had uh, two albums. Two albums were our favorite albums. Mm-hmm. Um, one was Fleetwood Mac, Mystery to Me, mm-hmm. and that was Bob Welch, and they mm-hmm. had uh, um, a bunch of great songs on mm-hmm. it. And then the other one was uh, Buckingham Nicks, oh, which was yeah. which was Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie, Stevie Nicks' Nicks. Uh, debut. Debut, and yeah. and we played the the heck out of them. Yeah, yeah. So when they merged, it was like we were yeah, yeah. in hog heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like, I know. All right. So um, um, uh, is that is that the, the Carbon Almanac? Uh, yes, this is Diane Osgood on oh, the line. Okay, good. Diane, how are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to talk to you. Oh, I'm thrilled to talk to you too. We've been been talking about your um, uh, well, that your book that you contributed to, editors, or uh, what are the editors uh, uh, of the Carbon Almanac, and we've been reading out of it, and then. Um, uh, Dr. Shahid Naim from uh, Columbia University was was telling about about how uh, the new the new uh, effort in climate communications is to uh, is this kind of um, graphic novel approach to to, to boil down complicated uh, um, uh, concepts. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. make it easier so for an average d- person d- to understand. D- d- average heads like person, not dummy d- d- heads <laughs> like me and George and Kevin can understand. Huh? <laughs> And we went through the we went through the whole thing about climate change in your eyes, and we read the whole thing. And and, and uh, anyway, it's great. Tell me about tell me about the almanac and, and, and your involvement and, and your involvement, please. Yeah. And uh, okay, great. great. Well, it, it is true. It makes sense to uh, include it in graphic novels because it, you know, it's not really plot rich. <laughs> so, uh, um, no, we we put together the carbon carbon almanac to provide facts and information so that everybody could get to their own level of understanding about the science 
from a fact-based book, so it's all facts, not opinions, Mm -hmm. and understand and decide to take action on their own. It's also a real conversation starter, and that's another big objective, is the more we talk about it and the more we uh, discuss and engage and uh, help each other make better decisions, then the more action uh, will, will be taken at a collective level, and that's really, really what's needed. Now, how, I mean, this seems like an incredible amount of research. Uh, uh, How, how, uh, before editing, how thick was the book? Let's put it that way. So, um, I actually don't know the answer to that question. So, it was all put together very rapidly um, under the leadership of Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. And we all are volunteers. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. It's it's 100% pro bono. Uh, None of us were paid. And... All of the uh, proceeds are being plowed back into distributing the book free to nonprofits and to schools in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That is fabulous. It's fabulous. Yeah. So we all came together online. Of course, this was uh, just about just a year ago. So we started the okay. end of last August mm-hmm. and worked furiously for four months uh, at a highly collaborative level like I personally have never worked before. It was mm. a tremendous experience. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, uh, book, and I, and I wanted to um, want to introduce you to somebody while, we're, while we have you on the line here. We got uh, the county executive from Westchester County, George Latimer, on the line. Mm. George, how you doing? Good, thanks, Lou. How are you today? Oh, we're, we're doing terrific. Uh, we're talking to uh, Diane uh, uh, Osgood mm-hmm. ab- about uh, the, uh, the Carbon Almanac. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. It sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I, they handed they handed it out at the uh, Westchester Municipal Off- Officials Association. They just started handing mm-hmm. it out, and it's a uh, um, uh, uh, a, a book about for. I guess it's for us. It's for you and me and and everybody about everybody uh, about about carbon. Uh, uh, how to understand the, the issues? Although I, I I I would imagine, sir, that you have a pretty good grasp on it. <laughs> well, I don't have a particularly great scientific grasp on it. I know that. We have to be practical in reducing our carbon footprint. So if what's in Ms. Osgood's uh, book helps us figure out the specific ways to do that, mm-hmm. then it's going to be very valuable to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're, you're serious about this. I mean, we, we, uh, the, these are uh, the initiatives that you, uh, you're doing in, in Westchester are not just feel-good uh, uh, feel things. I mean, you, you make sure that the, the, the footprint is reduced. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're in a local government, Mm-hmm. Uh, our our authority is much less about legislative policy or taxation policy, but we run certain functions, and we can make those functions less impacted by carbon. The classic mm-hmm. example is we're in the process of converting our uh, county bus fleet, 300 some odd buses, into uh, electric or hybrid electric buses. We're about 60 percent of the way toward that. The electric buses are more expensive, so we, <clears throat> you know, when a bus goes out of service, then we can put a new one in. Uh, but we're making that effort, and, and it has uh, you know very practical benefit in terms of reducing our carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. We're working in trying to expand the electric uh, vehicle charging stations. We're going to have an initiative with this new budget to put them in as many places as we can. Now, we have to have county-owned land in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the bottom line is that we recognize that <clears throat> the way we operate, treatment plants, and we run an amusement park, and mm-hmm. yada, 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 all these different things, a prison and so forth, uh, all these different things could be run more um, more environmentally efficiently, mm-hmm. and it will have the benefit of saving us some money too on the fuel costs. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And and uh, Diane, let me uh, ask you to jump in here. I mean, when you hear uh, somebody uh, in 
and uh, George Latimer's position uh, talking this way, does it make you feel a little better about the future? <laughs> of course it does. Action needs to happen at all levels. It's a systemic issue, and that's actually the nut of it, is that not one person or not one institution can solve it. It's got to be at a systems level. And part of the Carbon Almanac's goal is to give people tools to understand and information to understand where they can have influence and where where they can change their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that comes as a citizen in voting and supporting um, government officials, such Mm -hmm. as George, that are going to take action at that infrastructure level at the local, at at your city and county level. It's extremely important because Mm -hmm. that then changes the whole footprint and the whole impact that your community is having. And, you know, when we say carbon, what we're really talking about is a driver of climate change. Mm -hmm, And so we start to take, um, put in systems, put in electric buses and things like that that reduce Mm -hmm. the carbon impact, a carbon load, Mm -hmm. then we're starting to soften just a minor in in the most small but yet important way uh, the risk of severe climate change. And uh, I want to uh, point out that uh, on the ballot in November, um, uh, along with everybody who's running, is also that uh, that bond issue. I mean, uh, are you you excited about that, uh, George? Yes, very much so, uh, Lou. I think the best intentions uh, don't have an impact until we do specific actions, and generally those specific actions require money. So $4.2 billion worth of programs. Uh, our potential to come out of this if the Bond Act passed. I think we see a lot of energy to try to pass it. There was some referendums last year that involved uh, voter uh, uh, stopping voter suppression, and uh, they didn't pass. So I think there was a wake-up call for those of us who hold certain values. And we have to go out there and just sort of really promote these things in an aggressive way. And I think part of it is correlating the actual projects and the actual benefit of the projects through the bond. It's not just vote for money. Mm-hmm. It's when you vote for this, we will have resources to perhaps, say, implement a program to reduce uh, air pollution that affects asthmatic children in uh, our urban centers yeah. or programs that involve, uh, you know, uh, uh, being uh, more uh, infrastructure resilient. You know, Lou, your situation in the village of Mamaroneck, mm-hmm. uh, more uh, infrastructure resilient to flooding and the environmental uh, positives that come if we take proactive use. So I think all of this is good. I want to make one other point quickly, too, which is in Westchester, I don't know if it's true everywhere, but we, we are pretty close to having a bipartisan consensus on environmental issues. We may not agree on a lot of other things. I think Democrats and Republicans in our county uh, 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 have both come to that judgment that we need to do environmental things. You know, George, you accidentally violated one, uh, you've accidentally violated one of the rules of the show, George. Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. What was the rule? <laughs> okay, okay. So, we're not, so I'd like to chime... Yeah, I'd lo- I'd not, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just... Ju- uh, it, we, we, it, we don't, just, we don't yeah. say re- Democrat or Republican. It's a, it's, it's okay. a joke. Well, I said them both. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 both we major parties. Hopefully yeah, that's thought, not a complete breaking. Yeah, I'm, yeah, so, I'm sorry, Diane, if I... Yeah, go ahead. That's I'd love to chime in. There's three, three important things I want to pick up from what you just said. Um, one and two are the impacts that climate change has on us. One is health, is human health. You know, you mentioned asthma, but we know that climate change is really is is related to increased disease load, um, and you know, often you know, just plain old heat stroke um, when we have very high uh, heat indices. 
Um, you know, did you know that in today in Japan you can buy health insurance against sunstroke by the day mm. because it's become such a such a, um, a high risk issue? Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty interesting data point there. And you know, the other is infrastructure, right? So if we have increased flooding, if we have increased drought, you know, the strains that puts on our infrastructure is very important. And then it falls to our city and our local government and our state government to support that infrastructure, which costs more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which and, brings and, me to the third point, which yeah. is money. So just like we need money to have our communities, our, our, our local governments and state governments provide the infrastructure, what we do as individuals with our money is incredibly important. So understanding where you have your investments mm-hmm. and understanding the impact that that may have on supporting the transition to a low-carbon economy or continuing to support a fossil mm-hmm. fuel economy. So it's one of the most, to me, one of the most important things an individual can do is make decisions about where their money goes. And uh, I'll point out this, and, and George, you can you can back me up here. I think it's true. I mean, uh, there's stuff that we got to do, let's say, in Mimaritic. We just got to do it, I mean, uh, because of the flooding. And if the money is available through grants from the state, that means that's uh, less strain on the taxpayers and the property tax. Uh, the, the, you know, and no, I think that is true, Lou, and, and I think... You know, as anybody will tell you, we're all interconnected in these situations. The dotted lines that separate, say, Westchester from Putnam are arbitrary. The the environmental uh, situations we work in, the uh, the drainage areas for um, stormwater, the sewer system, you know, collection system, and how it, and how it becomes effluent out into those bodies of water. Those things don't know village, town, county, mm-hmm. even state situations. So we do have to look at it holistically, and our system. Of government does have different levels of government, and we have to work together. And in our county and your village and the towns in between, you know, do work pretty well. But, um, you know, we've got to figure out how to think about how do we solve the problem, mm-hmm. not who does what within the process of doing right. that. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because climate change doesn't look at zip codes, right? It doesn't read zip codes. <laughs> it just has its impact. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it impacts everyone across, you know, across everywhere on the planet. And that's why systems approach and working through government is so important. Uh, 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 have you heard any opposition to the bond issue, either of you? I've heard some, uh, and I think they come from people uh, who want to make the argument that uh, uh, we shouldn't be borrowing money, long-term debt. Uh, some people, uh, frankly, I think are advocates for the fossil fuel industry, and they see the threat that uh, comes from us spending more money on green technology. Uh, you know, it's, it's why the guys who were blacksmiths didn't love the advent of automobiles mm-hmm. and, you know, changing their careers. And I think we have some of that out there now. And those are, those are wealthy interests. And I do expect them to mount uh, arguments. But I think at the end of the day, we'll be, we'll be good as long as we, we understand what's at stake and we work at it. We've got to push for it. Hey, listen, uh, um, Diane, I want to invite you back next week. Are, are you available? I certainly would be. Okay, great. We, I, I think we want to we want to go through this this beautiful book and talk about some of the stuff in it if we can. So let's uh, let's pencil that into our uh, appointment books, shall we? That sounds fantastic. And Thank and, you. and and uh, and uh, County Executive Latimer, you are welcome anytime. Anytime you talk 
Oh, oh no, anytime you call, we'll stop what we're doing and listen. How about that? Well, Is that a deal? I want to thank Diane for Diana for sharing a little bit of her time with me. I apologize, but it's a pleasure to meet you by by this mechanism. And Lou, thanks for bringing this all together. Okay, I appreciate thank you so it. Much. Okay, and, and uh, so we're 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 winding down now, and uh, this is a, it's been a, a great two hours. I mean, it it went yeah. like that, and uh, the issues are so diverse, so complicated, so fractured, so so numerous, yet it's all one big thing, and, um, and that's what we have to remember. Uh, we're between <laughs> a rock, rock and a and hard place, place aren't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, so that's the, uh, the Stone song that is our uh, theme, our theme. Yeah. and uh, we will see you next week. Uh, with Diane Osgood, we've just, uh, we've just uh, confirmed that, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have some more, uh, some more music to tell with you. We, uh, you know, we didn't play Billy Strings mm-hmm. this time. Ah, right, right. Right, we had uh, Billy Strings, and we got some uh, great bluegrass stuff uh, uh, that, that we queued up. It's environmental. I, I, I'm definitely a fan now, I, I, yes. I got to say. Yes, yeah. it was just, just, just uh, uh, spectacular music. That was uh, Peter McCartney that introduced him, uh, to, uh, us to him uh, yeah, last week. Yeah. And uh, so we didn't get a chance to play that, but we'll 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 do that. You know, we always start out um, uh, with all these things we want to do, and then it, uh, we run out of time. They're, oh, there's the band. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like your music is coming. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Tough times with Lou Young. Stay safe.